Welcome to the Church of the Redeemers Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will enjoy this week's service, and we hope that you will follow us at www.cotrb.org, and may God continue to bless you. Thank you once again for this day. Thank you, God, for the enrichment of your word. Thank you, God, for the manifold blessings, how you continue to shout down upon us, God, not because we're so good, but because you're so great. Thank you for this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Trouble don't last always. This morning, I want to go to the last book, the book of Revelation, second chapter. Begin at verse 8 down to 11. This is the book of Revelation. The second chapter, beginning at verse 8, for your hearing. If you're here, if you can rest on your feet, if you're able, if you're able. In reverence to God's word, not to me. And it reads, it says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of saints. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. She said, trouble don't last always. I say everything is good until it is bad. Yeah, everything. You hear people talk about that all the time. Everything is good. I was able to get up this morning and get to church. That was good. But when I got there, the doors were closed. See, everything is good when it's bad. Who says that? Because the Bible is clear. God says all things work together for good. Them that love the Lord, them that are called according to, to his purpose. That means when we think it's bad, in God's sight, it is good. And when we think it's good in God's sight, it could be bad. Certain things, even though much to our dislike, must come to pass. It's all in God's plan of what we must take place before the second coming of his son. Nothing we do or say will stop it. It is according to God's will. 
We often face situations in life that challenge our faith in the Lord. Situations like when people standing in food lines are not just the homeless, but those who have lost their jobs because of the pandemic. When our family members or even ourselves are faced with senseless injustices. When we encounter health problems. When our non-believing family members die suddenly. When we see Christians who we know and who love the Lord encounter bad things in their life or to their family. When we encounter such situations in our life, we often wonder, does the Lord really love us? What is the Lord's attitude towards these situations? And what does he feel about such situations? We must remember the problems in our life are the same everywhere. No matter where you go, the problems of life are everywhere. You're not the only one suffering. You're not the only one complaining. Everything is good until it is bad. I remember a little boy was leading his sister up a mountain, and the way was not too easy. The little girl complained and said, why is this path, why is this a path anyway? It's all rocky and bumpy, the boy said. The little boy kept on going up the mountain, pausing just long enough to say to his sister, sure, you're right, but the bumps are what you climb on. You see, we can look at problems and difficulties with such different perspectives. To one, they are obstacles as big as a mountain, almost impossible to overcome. But to another, they are an asset, merely stepping stones to get us to where God wants us to be. We have to understand that even though it may look good, good may not always be what we think it is. We always find that it's easy to thank God when things are going good. And it's not so easy to thank God when everything appears to be going wrong. Why is that? Why can't we thank him in the midst of where we are? Yeah, my knee don't work right this morning, but I thank God anyway because I can still stand on my knee. During these adverse times, it's hard to be thankful. Yet the Bible is clearly teaches that we are to be thankful even during the bad times of life. Paul says to Timothy in the second chapter, he said that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. Paul says people will be cruel and hate what is good. Paul said they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them holy. Stay away from people like that. We all know that the life as a Christian is not easy. If you speak up for your faith, you risk official harassment and sometimes outright persecution. That's what's happening in this text this morning. This church is being persecuted by Christian folk 
as well as the Roman folk. When we look at where we are as a church family, just because you're in church, that don't mean that everybody likes you. In this chapter of Revelation, the Lord is conducting an examination to determine whether those who claim to believe in him are willing to stake their lives on him. Are you really re willing to stake your life on the Lord? See, Christians may not be called upon to die for their faith, but they are expected to live for their faith. God don't expect you to die for your faith, but you the one said that you love the Lord. You're the one that said that he died on Calvary Cross for you. You're the one that said that God allowed him to be lifted up the door. You said that. So are you willing to stand for that faith? See, the first letter was addressed in this chapter to the church of Ephesus, where they were praised for their faith, but were rebuked for having left its first love. This second letter is addressed to Smyrna. It was written by John, who was exiled on the Isle of Patmos during the time when Christian churches were being persecuted throughout the Roman Empire during the reign of the Emperor Domitian. Smyrna is known today as Ismer, or Turkey. It was a horrible city 40 miles north of Ephesus, renowned for its beauty and its civil pride, calling itself the first Asia. The city of Smyrna was filled with idol worship. Once a year, it was the duty of every Roman citizen to burn incense at the altar and to worship Caesar. And if you didn't worship Caesar, they would persecute you. You could be killed. To refuse to worship at the emperor's shrine was to be seen as an act of treason. Because of the prevailing paganism, Christians in Smyrna found themselves under relenting pressure. I think about us today as a church. We don't have the problems that they had back then. We can come to worship freely no matter where we are. Anywhere you go in America almost, you can go and worship. Thus the believers in Jesus found themselves unpopular and continually criticized. They were faithful to Christ despite all the ridicule. They were faithful to Christ despite the mockery. They were faithful to Christ despite the abuse, despite the cursing, despite the loss of property, possible imprisonment and matrimony. They were faithful to Christ. Jesus is reminding the church in Smyrna that he is what? The first and the last. That he is Alpha and Omega. Jesus is ensuring the church that he was the one that spoke the world into creation. That he will stand, be there. He will still be there after Satan is thrown in the burning lake of fire. Jesus is assuring them that he did die on the cross for their sins. 
but also he rose on the third day and he sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is reassuring these people in Smyrna that he is the one. He is Alpha and Omega. We have to understand that this is not only a message of comfort to the church in Smyrna, but it's a message of comfort to us today. That Jesus is the one. See, God was in control then, and he is still in control today. And will be in control tomorrow and always. See, there are times when life goes bad for all of us. The letter unto the angel, meaning the messenger to the church at Smyrna, helps us to think biblically about the struggles of life, especially those struggles that come because of our Christian faith. A church without suffering is a church without substance and strength. The letter says, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. He says, I know your afflictions. I know your sufferings. Here are the several points to encourage us in the midst of our struggles. That tells me in this text, if this church struggled and suffered, what does that mean for me and you? If Jesus is our model, if Jesus is our example, there are going to be some struggles. Everything good is good until it's bad. The first thing that I see in verse 9 is Jesus knows your trouble. Say it yourself. Jesus knows your trouble. Jesus knows what you're going through. He says, I know your afflictions. See, the believers at Smyrna could take comfort from the fact that the Lord knew their circumstances. God knows what you're going through right now. He knows what you're going to go through tomorrow. He knows you're down-sitting and uprising because he's God. It refers rather to what we might call catastrophic pressure. That's what the word affliction, it does not describe the ordinary troubles of life. It talks about those things that are catastrophic pressure. Well, I know not too long ago, we all felt like we were under catastrophic pressure while waiting for the election results to come out. But in this context, it was used as a man being crushed by a massive boulder. I'm reminded of the Hebrew children crying out to God while in bondage for over 400 years or the suffering believers today living in Muslim lands or those brave Christians facing attacks from angry Hindu mobs in India or the saints in Nigeria who are hacked to death by fanatical Muslims. These are the struggles and the pressures of life that Christians every day go through. That's how I know we're blessed. In America, we're blessed. Again, we can go and praise God 
wherever we want to be. See, when the sky falls in around us, when all hope is lost, when darkness surrounds us and the enemy closes in, Jesus says, I know your afflictions. He says, everything is good until it is bad. Because when you look to me, the author and the finisher of our faith, he said it all works together for good. It all works together. So he says, I know your trouble. He goes on in that same verse. He says, I know your poverty. He says, I know your poverty, yet you are rich. See, these words are literal, not metaphorical. Christians in Smyrna evidently came from the lower stages in the economic ladder. If they once had been rich in worldly goods, those days were long past. No doubt many had lost their jobs, and because they would not say Caesar is Lord. See, remember during this time, they had to make sure that they worshiped Caesar. If you denounce Caesar, you will be killed. If you denounce Caesar, they recognize Judaism. But the fact of the matter is that with all of these idol worshipers that they had in this paganistic town, you had to do what Caesar said. And it reminds me to these poverty-stricken Christians to say, for Jesus to say, but you are rich. Jesus knows your poverty. He knows your riches too. He sees your faith live out in hard times. He hears your desperate cries for help. See, it all depends on how we value time versus eternity. If this life is all that matters, then the words of Jesus are nothing more than pious nonsense. What good is it to say you are rich to those who are starving? See, even though they were in poverty, Christ said that they were rich. You can have all the money in the world and be the most liked and famous person in the world, but without Christ, you are nothing. You are dead. Having Christ as our Savior and Lord is greater than any riches that we could ever hope for. Steve Jobs died. He's the one that created everything that we do now. The computer, the Mac computer, all the stuff that he did. Yet when he died, he died without Christ. That just shows you you can have all the riches in the world. But if you don't have Jesus Christ, you are lost. If you have Christ in your heart and are living a true Christian life, then you are the richest person in the world. How foolish we are to think that the little bit that we massed in life matters in eternity. You can't take nothing out of this world. Once you're absent from this body, we're ushered in to the presence of the Most High God. Will the God who made the stars be impressed by my 75-foot yacht? 
Will he be blown away by the one or two mansions that I've acquired? Will he be impressed by my fleet of BMWs that I have parked outside? Oddly enough, those hated Christians in Smyrna were the richest people in town. I heard it put this way. You'll never know if Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And when Jesus is all you have, then you will discover that Jesus is all you need. Stop trying to replace Jesus with a dollar. Stop trying to replace Jesus with a promotion. Stop trying to replace Jesus with a big fancy house. When Jesus is all that you need. Here's the next point that I want you to understand in the text. He says, even though he knows my afflictions, he knows my poverty, and yet you're rich. He says, I know the slanderous of those who say they're Jews. In other words, Jesus knows your enemy. Sometimes it's difficult for us to figure out who the enemy is, but Jesus knows your enemy. I know the slander of those who would say that they are Jews and are not, but are they synagogue of saints? Who are these people who are called a synagogue of saints? This fearful description applies to those Jews in Smyrna who had joined forces with the pagans to accuse the Christians of treasons against Roman. Our struggles are not with flesh and blood, but with the enemy, with Satan, who uses people to accomplish his purposes. Jesus knew the abuse these Christians endured at the hands of religious folk, those who say that they are Jews and who are not. See, a true Jew is not one physically or radically, but spiritually. See, many today are religious, but do not know the Lord or serve him. The Bible warns of those having a form of religion, but denying the power thereof. There are forces that seek not just to damage or demean Christianity, but there are forces that want to destroy it. The call is not to be faithful until difficulties arise or until it's unpleasant to be a Christian, but we must be faithful until death. In Christ, we can overcome and be victorious. This is the call to the church. No matter how it looks now, it's not gonna always be this way. Because God is in control. He already knows what tomorrow looks like. And here we are in a country that's divided over who's going to be to see the, 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 the president. A country that's divided, hate that spills out. What is our role as a church? What can we do? And I think about this passage today. This mirror is where we are. It says, do not be afraid of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. See, we are about to suffer some things. Jesus 
Next point in this text, it says, do not fear and be faithful. First, our Lord has perfect knowledge of all that is about to happen to us. He already knows. What surprises us does not surprise him. Secondly, the Lord sometimes allows the devil to attack us severely. Sometimes that's the only way he can get our attention. We are just determined to do it our way. Thirdly, our sufferings are limited by the Lord. That's why when you see in the text, it talks about 10 days. Jesus tells the church that the, 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 the severe suffering persecution will last only 10 days. In other words, the time limit on our trials have been determined by the Lord. No matter what we're going through, there's a time limit on it. We just can't see how long we got to be in it. That's the problem. No matter what the doctors may say. Have you ever noticed that when somebody gets hurt, they always give them a projection of when they think they might be better? But here in this text, you can see God has already determined the time limit of your suffering. He said the Lord knows what he's doing, and he's doing it. He will accomplish his purpose concerning us. Then he tells us to be faithful. Jesus never promises to remove the trials of life. He never says to the church at Smyrna, just believe in me and everything will get better. He says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. That's what the text says. See, the crown of life is the winner's crown awarded at an annual athletic game. No doubt many of the believers in Smyrna paid the ultimate price of their faith. See, having followed Jesus in life, they now will follow him in death. See, Jesus is Lord of what I see as the extreme. He is there at the beginning, and he's there at the end. Because he conquered death, death itself cannot conquer us. It costs to be a dedicated Christian in some places more than others. And as end time pressures increase, persecution will also increase, and God's people need to be ready. So we need to be ready for what is getting ready to come. The world may call us poor Christians, but in God's sight, we are really rich. The text goes on and says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. He that has an ear, let him hear. He's not only talking to the saints, but he's talking to anybody that's listening. That's why we cannot deny those unbelieving people because they have an ear. And that's what the text is saying. He that has an ear, let him hear. I'm done, but I want to tell you this quick story. A baker in a little country town bought the butter he used from a nearby farmer. 
One day he suspected that the bricks of butter were not a full pound. And for seven days he weighed them himself. He was right. It wasn't a full pound. They were not a full pound, and he had the farmer arrested. And at the trial, the judge said to the farmer, I presume you have a scale. The farmer replied to the judge. He says, no, your honor, I don't. Then the judge said, then how do you weigh the butter you sell? He said, your honor, it's easy. I just use the one-pound loaf that I buy from the baker as my weight measure. You see, in life, you get what you give. Everything is good until it is bad. Too many people have their own scale in measuring where they think others should be. Stop focusing on the moat in your brother's eye while omitting the being that's in your eye. See, the important thing is faithfulness, standing true to Christ no matter what others might threaten or do. That's why he says that he that has an ear, let him hear. We need to be listening for what God is trying to say to us, not just to the church, but to everybody. We need to be on our knees day in and night, looking up to the heavens and say, Lord, here am I. Have your way in my life. Everything that's good until it's bad. I'm so glad today that God is still God. He's still on the throne. He's still in charge. He's still calling the shots. He's still the boss. He's still the man. God is God all by himself. He that hung the scars, he's God. I'm just so glad that God still loves the church. The doors of the church are open. Stand on your feet. Everything that's good, it's good unto his bay. That's how we feel. But I want you to know.